start off with a kind of a serious question uh, every week. And so uh, here's the question as we launch into Easter service. How many of you remember Charlie Brown? Is that, is, is there anyone who doesn't remember Charlie Brown? Is that like age thing? All right, so uh, Chindy doesn't know Charlie Brown. All right, so we're going to fill Chindy in. All right, so uh, Charlie Brown's this character, and he had a teacher, and Charlie Brown and the other friends, they would all go and they would sit in the classroom and they would listen to the teacher. Uh, does anybody remember what the teacher sounded like? You guys are good, yeah. So they would be sitting there in class and like what they would hear is wah, 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 however it goes. Because this teacher was saying what I'm sure was incredibly important information, but just the kids, they just didn't hear it. Uh, and that's what I want to talk about today. So this is a pretty normal thing for a lot of us. You can go to the next one, Tim. Is that there are times in our lives when we are being given incredibly important information, but for whatever reason, we just don't hear it. And there's different reasons of why we don't hear it. Uh, sometimes we just don't want to hear it. We're just not really interested. Sometimes we don't think we need to hear it. That's really for other people, but not, not really for me. Uh, there's those times where it's like, I kind of have my own agenda. I got my own thing going here, and that doesn't really fit in with what I want to do. And sometimes we have our own expectations for the person that's giving us that information, so we don't really want to listen. Uh, so let me give you a couple examples of this. Uh, first example is pre-flight instructions. Uh, I don't know if you guys fly a lot. How many of you, when you get on a plane, how many of you intently listen to the instructions? Like you just like, you have notes out, you have the card, you're, you know, okay, now what a seatbelt, I got it. I just, some of you guys really intent. How many of you, you like, you half listen? Like it's coming in one ear, you know, kind of guy. How many of you, you can be honest, how many of you never even put your book down? Like, like you never, your headphones never come out, like you never stop the conversation. And, and, and why? It's, it's because, what, one, maybe you don't want to really hear it. Maybe you think, I, I don't need to hear this. I mean, I've been on planes a bunch of times. I mean, the chance that I'm going to ever need this information, I mean, come on. Uh, sometimes uh, we just kind of have our own agenda. Like, I I'm trying to finish this podcast. Uh, I got a couple chapters to finish in this book. I got to get my Netflix queued up. You know, we kind of have our own things. I don't really have time to listen to you. And oftentimes, sorry, go back. We have our own expectations for that person. So, like, that's nice that you're up there giving instructions, but... What I really need you for is like when I go, bing, like I need you to bring me a drink. That's kind of like my, that's what I need. That's your job. And that's nice that you feel like you need to give the safety instructions, but that's not really what I need from you. I have something else. Uh, here's another example. Uh, bear safety. Uh, a couple years ago, Ash and I got a chance to go to Alaska and we were in Denali National Park and we we're gonna take this hike around and while we were getting ready for the hike, there was a guide, and he said, okay, before we go on the hike, I need to give you some instructions about what we're going to do if we see a bear. And he's going on and on, and I can't, there's grizzly bears, and it was, you know, but for the most part, we just weren't really that all that interested, because I was like, I, I don't really, I don't want to hear this. Like, I don't think I need to hear this. I mean, I, I just, there was a tour group that just came back. I think they all came back. Like, I, I'm just, it just doesn't seem like that big of a deal. Uh, I, I, I kind of have my own agenda. Uh, I, I, I want to like see, I want to get cool pictures. You know? I'm, I'm hoping to like maybe see a moose in the distance. Like I'm not, it, bears really aren't on my agenda. And again, I have my own expectations for that person. Like it's nice that you feel like you need to give bear instructions, 
But what I need is like, I'm wondering what that mountain is over there. I have questions I need you to answer and I need you to make sure we don't get lost. And that's kind of what I need you to do. But you, you, know, you go do your bear thing. That's fine. Then, all of a sudden, the thing changes. And you're on the plane, and all of a sudden it starts shaking, and the, the, the masks fall, and the lights are blinking. You know, it, the plane starts dropping into a free fall. And all of a sudden now, the flight attendant gets on and says, I need to give you emergency instructions. You are listening. You are bumping, you, you, you are full focus. All of a sudden you're walking, you see a bear, and they say, okay, Here's what you all need to do. And all of a sudden, in the blink of an eye, instructions that didn't seem all that important a little bit ago now become incredibly important because the situation around you has changed. Uh, so here's why I bring that up. 2,000 years ago, Jesus walked the earth. Uh, every historian on the planet will tell you that there was a really guy named Jesus and that Jesus spent three-ish years teaching amazing things. Uh, here's how the book of uh, Mark begins. Here's how Jesus started his public ministry. So Jesus went into Galilee, and he was proclaiming the good news that the time has come. He said, the kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. Jesus is out there preaching this amazing stuff. And for the most part, what people heard was wah, 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 wah. And here's why we know that, is because for the three-ish years of Jesus' ministry, when Jesus was actually on the planet teaching amazing things, what we find, and you can read for yourself, is again, people have their own expectations, go to the next one, is there were some people in the crowd that were interested in the stuff that Jesus was saying. There was definitely some people who doubted, who weren't quite sure, there was definitely some haters in the audience. They would end up killing Jesus. And there were some people who would follow Jesus from place to place. But what you see, and I encourage you to do this, read through the accounts of Jesus' life in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And what you will find is what you don't see in those three years is this, radical belief or obedience. Jesus is saying these really big, amazing things, and for the most part, people are interested, some people are doubting, but no one is actually saying, I'm in. I'm going to go do everything you said to do. I'm going to radically believe, and I'm going to radically obey. And then Jesus died. And at the moment Jesus died, it went from some people that were a little bit interested following to now zero people believing, zero people following. Because when Jesus died, the Jesus movement was over. Because there was like all this talk about Jesus throughout his ministry, and some people thought like maybe he's the Messiah, maybe he's the Son of God, maybe he's the King of the Jews that we've been waiting for. But it was obvious as you were looking at him on the cross that day, I mean, sons of gods don't die. <laughs> Messiahs are not conquered. Uh, the king of the Jews we've been waiting for is not rolled over by the Roman Empire. And so clearly he was not. And so what we find is that after the, the crucifixion, all the disciples deserted him and fled. Everybody left. No one believed. No one was interested in obeying any of the things that Jesus said. Uh, even though Jesus had talked about that he was going to rise from the dead, 
after he died, nobody was waiting around thinking, I think he's actually going to do it because they weren't stupid. They know people when they die do not rise from the dead. Uh, there was no one sitting at the tomb that first Easter counting down, okay, five, four. He said he was going to come back, three, two, boom. Everyone was at home. No one was expecting. And then, uh, and that's where I want to pick up the story today. Uh, so this is in Acts chapter 1. So this is the story. Uh, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John tell us about Jesus. And then Acts tells us about what happened right after Jesus uh, in the early church. It says, in my former book. So this is a guy named Luke who's writing this real guy, writing this to a real guy named Theophilus. In my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all the things that Jesus began to do and teach that no one actually followed. After his suffering... He presented himself to them and gave them many convincing proofs that he was alive. And he appeared to them over a period of 40 days. This is a bit of an aside, but it's an incredibly important aside. Why did the people back then believe that Jesus actually rose from the dead? Was it that, like, they were just like unintellectual, they were just like overly superstitious, that, like, you know, they just would easily fall for something like that? And over and over again, what it says when you read the accounts is that the reason why they believed is because he appeared to them. And then they didn't just believe at first glance. They're like, we need you to prove this. And I, I don't know what you would do. I think it'd be an interesting discussion if we had time. We could all go around and say, okay, if you were in front of Jesus and you needed him to prove that he actually rose from the dead, what would you make him do? And that's, I think they did similar stuff. They were proving, trying to prove that Jesus was alive. And they didn't just do this on one day. They did this for 40 days. They, that, that's why they believed. Uh, another guy uh, named Paul, here's what he said about the same idea. He said, for what I received... I passed on to you as of first importance that Christ died, we all saw that, for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried, and that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. Well, well how, Paul, I mean, come on, you're, you're a very intellectual guy. Like, how, why do you believe that he was raised from the dead? And here's what Paul would say. He said, and then he appeared to Cephas. And I know Cephas, he appeared. And then to the 12. Uh, and not only that, it goes on. And after that, he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters at the same time, most of them who were still living, though some have fallen asleep, which is the way of saying death. You, you, I can go introduce you to these people. Like, let's go. Let's go get on a boat. And like, here's 500-ish people that saw, the reason why they believe is because they saw the resurrected Jesus. And then he appeared to James and then to all the apostles, and last of all, he appeared to me also. Why did they believe? What, what gave them such extraordinary faith in this incredibly supernatural, for sure hard-to-believe thing? They would say it was because we saw it with our own eyes. We touched it. We heard it. We, we made him prove it. We're like, come on, eat a fish. See if you can do it. Come on. Knock on the wood. Let me give you a hug. Let me, let me just, 40 days. Let me just prove that you would do it. Uh, now, I don't know how many resurrected people you've been around. Uh, and I especially don't know how many resurrected people you've been around that you saw brutally killed just like a few days earlier. Uh, but here, here's what it says. So after his suffering, he spoke to them. Now, again, I don't know how many resurrected people you've been around, 
But my guess is, is that whatever they are about to say, after you finally got all your proofs out of the way, you finally believe that this person is actually alive. The plane is now rocking, there's the bear. Like, you are now listening intently to whatever this guy is going to say because he just pulled off the impossible, the supernatural. What are you going to talk about? And here's what he spoke about. He spoke about the kingdom of God. And what does that mean? Uh, Here's what I think, and here's what lots of other folks agree with me in thinking, is that when Jesus was on earth for three years, he's doing all this amazing teaching. For the most part, he didn't have like a huge repertoire of things that he taught about. Uh, Jesus kind of had a few sermons, a few lessons, a few things. And what a lot of people think is that he did these same sermons, like the Sermon on the Mount. We've been in our groups. We've been going through the Sermon on the Mount. He probably did that dozens and dozens of times. He's just like traveling around from place to place, from town to town, and he's talking about the same things over and over and over again. Uh, Again, in the beginning of Mark, he talks about the idea that this is how he started his ministry, is he went out and he was speaking about uh, speaking about the kingdom of God, the good news. This is just like he just preached about the same stuff over and over and over again. And for the most part, when they heard him talk about this way of living, what they heard was, wah, 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 wah. Okay, that, that, that's, that's interesting. That sounds nice. And so now, Jesus is standing in front of them, resurrected, and he's saying, okay, let's go over this again. Let me tell you, you've heard me say it, let's go over it again. Uh, Now, real quick, to sum up the teachings of Jesus, uh, there's a sheet on your your tables there, and I would divide up the teachings of Jesus into two categories. You could probably divide them up into many more, but for today, we're going to divide them up into two. Uh, Promises and instructions. So Jesus would often say things that were promises, things that he was saying, here's what I can do for you. Here's what I'm going to do in your life. If you believe in me, here's what is going to become true. And then he would give instructions. He would tell people, here's what I want you to do. And for the most part, here's what I think people heard for Jesus' three-ish years when he would talk about these. Uh, So when he would talk about uh, promises, what they would often hear is, it just sounds too good to be true. It, it wasn't that, you know, they, they, they heard Jesus talk about having a full life. Like, ah, it's not that they, they don't want a full life. It's just like, you're this, like, Jewish car. Like, who are you to, like, say you're going to give me a full life? Like, unconditional love? Of course I would want it, but it just, you know, life after death sounds amazing. But, like, it just sounds a little bit too good to be true. It's not that I don't like the idea. It just seems too good to be true. Uh, here's an example of this. A couple weeks ago, I was uh, scrolling through my Facebook account, and I happened to see this. Uh, it says, this random person, I don't know them, said, I have a large sum in a bank account, and I have a tumor in cancer, which is sad, but I would like to donate to someone decent, God-fearing, and put this money to good use. If you're interested, please PM me so I can get, in contact, get you in contact with my lawyer. That's a pretty good offer. I would love to have, I have no idea how much money they had, what a good amount of money is. Everything about that sounds wonderful. How much you want to bet that I actually PM them so I could get in touch with their lawyer? Not because I don't like the idea of the offer. 
it's because it just seems like a little bit too far-fetched. It seems like it's a little bit too good to be true. I mean, who is this person? You know, what are the chances that this is actually going to work out? And for many, many years, people heard the things that Jesus said, and they're like, sounds great. But now, they're sitting in front of Jesus, and he is saying, okay, let's go over it again. Did you see me die? Remember that? Alive, we've spent 40 days. Did you check out my life? That life after death thing? Not too good to be true. It's real. That unconditional love thing, that I can give you a full life, all of those things I said, I'm telling you, they're actually true because I said it and I just proved it because I rose from the dead. Uh, on the other idea is instructions. And for the most part, these instructions fall into the category of just too radical, too counterintuitive. It's just like, ah, just... That, that's going to mess with my agenda. I have like my agenda for my life, and like that just, that just seems like it's too difficult. And they heard the things that Jesus said, and they're like, I just don't know if I want to like live that extreme. Uh, here's uh, my example for this. Uh, some of you know uh, I do a fair amount of running uh, in my life. And so a few years ago, I started to uh, work with a running coach. Uh, and this might seem kind of weird, and I don't know if this will totally work if you're a runner, but there's some other runners in here. So everyone's try to go with this. And so for many years, I was working to try to get faster. And so when I was working by myself, the way in which you would try to get faster is I would try to run as much as I possibly could, as fast as I possibly could. And so then when I started working with a running coach, what I assumed he would tell me is you need to run even faster and you need to run even longer. But that's not what he said. What he often says and what he tells us a lot is you need to actually run less and go slow. And again, I don't know if this makes sense to like a non-runner, but to literally everyone on my running team, the thing he yells about us the most is like, stop running so fast, especially on your days when you're supposed to go slow, go slow. And so yeah, here's this little uh, thing he did. He said, it's so important that you run your recovery run slow on days after workout and long runs. And then he says something weird about being drunk at school or something. I don't know, because that's what we do uh, when we talk about running stuff. And for many, many years, I just kind of was like, hey, you know what, I'm just going to kind of do my own thing. Like, that, that, that sounds nice, but like, I'll kind of take it and go. And then he shared an article uh, from a guy named Kachobi. Kachobi is one of the greatest marathon runners in the world. And he said that what Kachobi does is he actually does the majority of his runs slow. It's like, ooh. Even though it feels so counterintuitive, I just, I, I want it, to, it, based off of who's saying it, maybe it's actually right. And I think that Jesus as he was standing there in front of his disciples that day, after he's just proved that he is alive. He's like, all right, I want you to love your enemies. I don't want to love my enemies. Well, no, no, no. Listen to who I am and who's saying this. I want you to love your enemies. I want you to serve the marginalized. I want you to not worry. And all of a sudden, these things that became incredibly, seemed so unrealistic before, all of a sudden, kind of crystallized. Uh, now, a couple questions. For, especially for some of us who are maybe here and we're listening, it's like, that's, that's interesting, John. But like, I'm still like a little bit skeptical. Uh, here's one of the questions that you need to kind of work through on yourself is, so Jesus died, 
for the most part, what you can see is most people were not listening to these things that Jesus said to do during his life. And so why? Why in the first, the second, and the third century were there so many people that were not only saying that they believed in Jesus, but were actually living like these things were absolutely true and they were actually following these instructions? A couple options. Uh, Maybe they were doing it. Sorry, that's how they looked at Jesus. Like, we don't want to hear it. That's what they want to do. Yeah, they did all of a sudden that radical obedience. Forgot all my slides. I'm going to the next one. All right, so, because what's unquestionable is after, in the first, second, and third century, that people absolutely radically changed the way in which they lived. So this is a secular uh, historian. Uh, the Ro- Roman emperor Julian, so this is the Roman emperor, he was writing in the fourth century. So this is four, uh, four, uh, 300 years or so after Jesus, fourth century. And he was regretted the progress of Christianity because Christianity has grown so big. Like, what's going on with this? Uh, because it had pulled people away from the Roman gods. And he said, Christian faith has been specifically advanced. Why is it that so many people keep becoming Christians, turning away from Roman gods? And here's what he said. He said, it's through the loving service rendered to strangers and through their care for the burial of the dead. Uh, In the second and third century, uh, it's all, all over history, there was these devastating plagues in different cities. And so when the plagues would hit, everyone would just run out as quick as possible. And the folks who had to stay and die of the plague would literally just kind of die in the middle of the streets and people, their bodies just kind of rotting there. And so no one was getting a, a civilized burial. And so while everyone else was running out of the cities, history reports that these Christians would go into the cities and they would bury these folks that had died that were strangers. They don't even know these people. Why? Well, what, what, what gave them such, what, why all of a sudden were they that committed to loving the marginalized? Why exactly were they so convinced of life after death and so unafraid of death? Uh, he goes on. He said, it is a scandal that there is not a single Jew who is a beggar and that the godless Galileans care not only for their own poor, but for ours as well. And I don't know if that's hyperbole or not, but the idea is that, there, look around. There's not a single beggar. It, all, all, everyone's needs are just being taken care of. And just for a second, like, can you imagine if that was like said true of Albany? Like, look around, like there's not a single kid who needs a mentor in Albany who doesn't have one. They they all have one. Uh, There's not a single person uh, who doesn't have adequate housing to live in because everyone is being taken care of. There's not a single widow that's that's, that's spending their life just lonely with no one to look in on them because they're not only caring for their own, but they're caring for ours as well. While those who belong to us look in vain for the help that we should render them. So the majority, the the, the intuitive thing is like, I'm not going to help other people who aren't my, that's that's their problem. That's not my problem. Why are all of these people going out of their way to help strangers? Uh, Then here's how uh, the book of Acts talks about it. Again, this uh, book talks about the early church. It says they, the early Christians, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. Why? Why all of a sudden are these folks like, okay, what did he say? 
I, oh, you, you guys were there. You guys heard him talk about this over and over and over again. We, we want to be, now we're taking notes. Now we're to, what exactly did he say? We want to know every single bit. And to the fellowship and to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Why were they so committed to these? Uh, next one. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles, and all the believers were together and had everything in common. And I don't know how much that means to us. In that world, nobody was together. It was a world that was incredibly separated, okay? So Jews over here, Gentiles over here. Uh, righteous Jews over here, non-righteous Jews over here. Uh, owners over here, slaves over here. Every, Roman soldiers over here, people that hate Roman soldiers. Everyone was completely separated and hated each other. And now all of a sudden, there's believers that are all together. And what history recounts about the early church is that all of a sudden, Slaves and slave owners and Gentiles and Jews and people of all races and people of all genders, and they're all together and everything in common. Here's what everything in common means. It says they sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. There was someone here today who didn't have enough. Like, oh my gosh, well, I have two cars. I don't need two cars. Let me go sell my car and give it. I have extra stuff in my house. Let me go sell it. Let me make sure. Does anyone have need? What made them that non-concerned about materialistic things? What is it that made them that interested in helping marginalized people? What made them so radically loving? It goes on. It says, every day they continue to meet together in the temple courts. They just, over and over again, we, we have to be together. They broke bread in their homes and they ate together. It, it, not only are they together, but they're eating together. I mean, this, they would, sometimes in that culture, they wouldn't even walk into a, someone of a different race. They wouldn't even walk in their house. They're eating together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. Uh, and then finally, and the Lord added to their number daily those that were being saved. Why? Why was this growing so fast? Why were these folks so committed all of a sudden to these teachings of Jesus and not just believing them, but actually living it out? Uh, was it because it was politically advantageous? I encourage you, read through your history books and see how politically advantageous it was for these early Christians in the first, second, third, fourth century. Was it because of social gain? Uh, I encourage you to go back in your history and see how Christians were excommunicated from their families, excommunicated from their towns. And yet, uh, was it for financial gain? Uh, and go back and look and see how oftentimes they would lose their businesses, lose their ability to be able to trade, lose their ability to be able to trade in the public market. Because now, they, to go into the public market, you had to uh, kind of give a penance or give some sort of a sacrifice to a Roman god. But they're like, I, I can't do that anymore. I don't believe in those Roman gods. So now they lost their ability to have any kind of financial gain. Why? Maybe it was because it was true because they believe that this actually happened. Uh, now, to up the ante a little bit more on this, because you might be hearing this idea that's like, okay, so are you saying all these things that Jesus talked about, 
unconditional love, forgiveness of sins, answer prayer, salvation, that, you know, we should, you know, don't objectify people, love God, love others, forgive people. Like, it kind of sounds like you're saying, like, no one really did any of it. And the only reason why anybody cared about it at all is because Jesus rose from the dead, which means then, if Jesus didn't actually rise from the dead, all of this is basically like, this doesn't really matter. This isn't really important. And it sounds like you're saying that the whole thing actually hinges on whether Jesus died and rose from the dead or if he just died and that was it. And that is exactly what I'm saying. And I'm not saying it just because of me, but here's what the apostle Paul said. Paul was one of the early uh, Christians. He said, he said this. He said, if, if Christ has not been raised our preaching is useless. Why do I keep telling you guys this stuff? It doesn't matter unless. And so is your faith. More than that, we are found to be false witnesses about God. I, all these things I keep telling you that God is love and God is here and God, like, all of that is false unless it's actually real. Uh, here's what Paul says this. As for us, why do we endanger ourselves every hour? And I love this. Uh, I face death every day. Yes, just as surely as I boast about you in Christ, Jesus our Lord, even if I fought wild beasts in Ephesus with no more than human hopes. Paul's like, hey, I guess I fought wild beasts. Like, that was crazy. Like, what, if, if this is all just made up, if this is all just a hoax that we put together, like, why in the world did I do all of that? I mean, what have I gained? Uh, and then here's how uh, Paul ends it. He says, if the dead are not raised, if this whole thing's made up, you know what? Let's just eat whatever we want. Let's drink whatever we want. Let's just, I mean, t tomorrow we die. That's the end of it. Like, why do any of this if it doesn't matter? But Paul says, here's why I do it. Because what I believe is that he has actually risen indeed. I believe that it was true. Okay, go to the next one there, Tim that Christ has indeed raised from the dead. I believe it was actually true. And again, you would say, Paul, what, why, what gives you that confidence that you're willing to go out of your way to actually live? Why? And again, Paul would say, it's because he appeared to me, to, to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters at the same time. Most of them who are still living, you can go see them. Though some of them have fallen asleep. And if that wasn't enough, then, then he appeared to James and all the apostles, and last of all, he appeared to me also. Here's why I have such confidence, Paul would say. It's because I believe, because I actually saw it. And so what, what, well, okay, so you saw him. What happened? And here's what I think happened. Here's what was recorded happened. He appeared to them. And over a period of 40 days, he spoke about the kingdom of God. And I had heard him say it before. But when I heard him say it before, there's part of it that sounded like it was like a little, it sounded good, but it just sounded a little bit too good to be true. There was other parts about it that seemed just too radical, too counterintuitive. But I'm telling you, as I stood there, as I sat there in front of this guy that, I mean, I was there, I saw it, I smelled it, I saw him crucified. No one's going to survive that. I saw the tomb. And then for 40 days, myself, my friends, 500, we, 
And he said, I actually want you to do this. And we did. And it's been game on ever since. Uh, lastly, here's what uh, kind of for you to wrestle with uh, over this next week. Uh, there's a game that we like to play a lot uh, called Jenga. Some of you guys uh, played Jenga. I, you know, we, we have a big set that we use when we go to uh, street fairs and, and things like that. And uh, the way Jenga works is all these blocks, and you've got to, like, pull them out. And you know what Paul is saying here and what I am saying today is that the resurrection of Jesus is, is the bottom because it, there's some little blocks that you can pull out, and it's like, okay, you know, this is interesting, and uh, we're all about just trying to be open to different thoughts, and, you know, there's different Christians that might emphasize different things, and sometimes there's a little bit different beliefs here and there, you know, and sometimes we might not all agree on all the beliefs, and, you know, we have, we have room for that. But what Paul is saying is there's always, like, that one, like, piece. It's like, all right, if I pull this out, like, the whole thing is going to fall over. And Paul says, that piece is the resurrection. Uh, if, that, if that piece is pulled out and the whole thing can be proved that it didn't actually happen, then everything else falls. Just take this, throw it away, you don't need it. But on the other hand, if it's real, then that's the foundation in which we can build everything else. Uh, so here's a question that I want you to wrestle with. And if you hang out with us on a regular basis, this is a question that we ask all the time is over the next week, try to answer this question. I will what? Based off of this idea that Paul, Peter, Luke, is saying that they saw Jesus rose from the dead and that everything is hinging on that. What does that mean for you? For some of you, it might mean, okay, well, I don't know if I really researched enough yet to know whether I really believe that, are those eyewitnesses actually true? You should, I will spend time researching that. I want to know more historical. Why is it that all of them lived that way two, 3,000 years ago? I'm going to spend more time thinking about that, discussing that, and that could be a great I will statement. But for many of the rest of us, we've come here today, maybe we've come to lots of different Easter services, and we're like, yeah, no, I, I, I sign off at some level. Like, yeah, sure, I believe in Jesus. I believe that he rose from the dead. But if that's true, and what are we If Jesus actually is the Son of God, then that means that all of these things are actually true. It means that He actually wants you to have a full life. So, what will you do this week to move towards that full life that Jesus is promising you to live in? Jesus wants you to have a life of impact, He wants your life to matter. What will you do this week to move forward on that? Jesus wants you to serve the marginalized. What will you do this week to move forward to that, to actually radically listen to the things that Jesus told us to do? And that is the invitation that we have at Easter, that the resurrected Jesus says, he's like, okay, you might have heard me say these things before, but if you believe that I actually rose from the dead, let's talk about this again. I actually want you to do this. And if we do, I believe it will absolutely not only change your world upside down, although I believe it absolutely will. Uh, these aren't, some of these things are counterintuitive and hard, but I'm convinced that they are the best way to live. Uh, and you're invited to live in that with us. Uh, so the way in which we're going to spend some time thinking about that is uh, the band's going to come up. You guys can go ahead and start coming up. And uh, we're going to sing a song. And as we sing the song, uh, there's, 
communion uh, cups. And at any point during the song, I want you to take communion if you want to. And just as you take it, though, I mean, that, what we remember at communion, as Zach was talking about earlier, is one heck of a statement. It's this idea that Jesus actually died for the forgiveness of your sins. It's the idea that eternal life is really real. It's the idea that the way in which Jesus treated his enemies over the course of the crucifixion is the way that we're actually supposed to treat our enemies. And do you believe that that is true? And if you believe that that is true, what would it look like for you to live that out this week? Because on the one hand, I think you can look at Paul, you can look at these early disciples and somehow make an idea that like it was all made up in their minds somehow it was some sort of like a big elaborate hoax but I mean why would they go out of their way to live such extreme lives based off of not what they claimed they heard but what after they claimed they saw with their own eyes for that matter even though I didn't get to see and touch for what I would say when I was out walking the streets of Albany this morning, the presence that I felt real and alive. And for maybe you, as you sing the song, the presence that you feel is not just some God distant, but God that is here and real. What would it look like for you to actually do the things that he says for you to do and to believe the things that he says for you to believe? Let me pray for you, and then we're going to sing. Jesus, I'm in. I believe that you are here in this space. You are here in my life and in my heart, that you are alive. And I believe it's not just that you're alive and you want us just to say hello to you and then move on with the rest of our lives. But you want to sit down and you want to speak. Oftentimes retreading things that you've said many, many, many times to us before. But now maybe this Easter, you don't want us to hear it. You want us to actually believe it. Actually move towards it. Actually lean towards this way that you are telling us to live. Help us to do that.